Welcome to the Table Dallas podcast. At the Table Dallas, we create a sacred space to worship, connecting our stories with the story of God as revealed in scriptures. We invite you now to listen to this week's discussion. Right. At the Table Dallas, and we made it to our penultimate study in the journey with Luke, and we're glad that you join us live here at uh, beautiful Mill Street House, or anywhere you finally gather with us around the world through our podcast. We're glad that you've taken the time to journey with us um, in the book of Luke. We started way back in chapter 10, and we've now made it to the middle portion of chapter 18, where we find the story of, well, in most Bibles, I think it's marked as the rich young ruler. Which is an interesting title because um, there's nothing in it that necessarily says he's young. But um, that's the title, and so that's what it's been known as for a long time, but I think we'll notice that today. Um, I think the idea being that um, rich and young and ruler equals money, youth, and power. And those are the three most sought after things in the world today, right? So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't surprise us that um, that kind of a title has been given to the story. It's a, it's a man who appears to be at least... As far as we know, a moral and decent and upright, he comes to Jesus because he senses that he's missing something, all right? This man thinks he's doing all the right things, but peace or confidence or assurance um, is still eluding him. So let's take a look at the conversation between uh, this certain man and Jesus in Luke chapter 18. Verses 18 to 23. We're going to stop at 23 for this first part. So Luke 18, 18 to 23. Common English Bible, please, if you have. 18 to 23? That's correct. A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus replied, Why do you call me good? No one is good except the one God. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't give false witness. Honor your father and mother. Then the ruler said, I've kept all of these since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said, There's one more thing. Sell everything you own and distribute the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. I love that every time I hear that, wait, this is the word of the Lord? Yeah, every time I hear that, I keep wanting to say, but wait, there's more. <laughs> you know, oh, I've done all these things, but wait, there's more. No. Um, so we have this certain man ask Jesus a, a very important question, but before we, we look at the actual question, let's consider um, this certain ruler himself and First of all, how he addresses Jesus, okay? Luke identifies him initially as a certain ruler, and then a little bit later on as extremely rich, right, toward the end of that section, all right? So what are we to make of these descriptors? What are we to make of this? What are we to infer about this particular certain ruler? Beyond just that, I mean, those are obvious indicators, but what are we supposed to take from that? What are we, who are we talking about here? Any ideas? Other. <laughs> Sorry? Other. Somebody who's not like the rest of most of the people that you know, are hanging around. So, 
So he, he definitely seems like he's being differentiated from the people, other people that are gathered around Jesus that are um, more simple or more peasant-like, maybe, okay? Yeah, he's not your standard disenfranchised that are coming to Jesus. All right, not a disenfranchised person coming to Jesus. No indication that he's sick or needs healing or anything like that, right? What else? What else can we infer from this ruler and wealthy? We think that he is Jewish because Jesus says he knows the commandments. Okay. So we know that he's at least a um, practicing Jew, right? Worried about or concerned about that. What does it mean to be a ruler? A Pharisee? Could be a Pharisee. Likely we're talking more along the lines of Attack uh, the head of the tax collectors, or something along line along those lines. Especially since we know what's going to follow in the text. So he somehow he's in a position of authority, and the implication being, I think, that that authority has given him the opportunity to gain what great wealth. What else do we know about? What does that give him in that society? Status. Status on one hand. Status why? Uh, with wealth, it would just it, the affluence. It's in, according to that culture, it means that God has blessed that person to be able to have that wealth. Right. So on the one hand, you have this underlying piece that says wealth is a gift from God, and so you're being blessed. <coughs> but what else do we see? Yeah. So you have that maybe that juxtaposition, right, where he's a ruler, and ruler typically means he's he's betrayed. Potentially betrayed his people because he's working in cahoots with his capital, with those who are oppressing them. All of this, right? And so again, remember in Luke, whenever he says a certain man or a certain ruler or a certain king, right? A lot of times he's referring to somebody specific that probably everybody else would have known, right? So here's this this you know a certain ruler who is very wealthy, and everybody's going, I, I know who that is, like. All right. Now, um, the certain ruler then addresses Jesus with the title. It's a title, by the way. It's capitalized "Good Teacher." Good Teacher. What is this address or his choice of how to address Jesus? What did it, what does it reveal to us about how he viewed Jesus? Okay. So you take it as a, a, a sense of respect. Okay. Sort of. I mean. <laughs> Okay. We just refer to him as a teacher, okay. not a rabbi. Good. What else? Maybe some, maybe recognize some level of authority in what Jesus says okay. as a teacher. Okay. What else? As a rich ruler, could that person actually be someone of non-Jewish descent? It's possible. He could have been. I suppose he could be a, um, a uh, yeah, proselytized, and he's worried about that. That that's an observation that I hadn't really made, but that is possible. Part of the reason why he might be concerned about have I done enough to yeah, you know that's a good idea. Yeah. Somebody was here right? Say something. Yeah, just the idea of you know calling someone good. If you know if that that sounds like a how that the, there's weight to that okay. like good is is better than when we say good okay. right so it's respectful from your perspective yeah i think so gravitas 
it's and he's definitely not talking down to it. Okay. Even if he doesn't understand it as good, he's recognized that there are other people coming in that's making a change. Okay. Anything else? Does his question reveal anything about himself? I think it's a good question. Is it okay for me to say that? Is, yeah. I, I think I don't necessarily hear this as he's trying to pin him down. I, I, my, the sense I get is he's sincerely wanting to know. So he's genuine. Yes. What was Jewish thought on eternal life before Jesus came around and you know upset that? Yeah. So eternal life in so in that day and time, that's language of kingdom. So what do I need to do to make sure that when the time comes and I pass, that I get to be part of your kingdom? But, so but he's concerned. Not, but that's not what he says. Right. He wants to obtain eternal life. That's he's not asking how to become part of your kingdom. Is the point that I, so what does that reveal about him? There's a sense of self-preservation there. That is. <laughs> I think it's more interesting saying what life is to become part of the Kind of his next step. I've got all this wealth, money, power. No. What else can I keep? What else can I do to, you know? That's the next thing. Eternal, eternal life. life would be you look like you're offering eternal life. What What do you got for me? You guys are bad people. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you just think terrible of this. No, I'm just kidding. It's funny, but see, this is why I love it. See, I can do all this preparation and just like skip the next seven questions because, like, I would, I never would have taken it that direction. Like, oh, he's not talking about kingdom. I just assume. Like, he wants to be part of this kingdom that Jesus is talking about, and yet now you're opening the door to the possibility of, like, no, it's deeper than that. It's like, I'm rich, I'm powerful, and I want to stay that way forever. What do I need to do to make sure that happens? But I think Maybe I just word... think people are nicer than they really are. I don't know. <laughs> I think the best. I think I it's know. the word obtain. That obtain? really feels key to me. Okay. He wants to obtain something. It's different than... You know, let me be a servant. Let me. So, following that, then, Chris. So, Jesus was certainly not accepted by the religious establishment of his day, right? So, why does the ruler come to Jesus with this question? Because what? So he thinks that Jesus can actually answer that question for him. He can actually tell him how to do it. Or maybe a moment that's like, oh, you're already here, so good job, that's that. Gotcha. All right. Don't worry about it anymore. I don't know why you're worried. Look, you, you got this. Look. Yeah, gotcha. How much, how much uh, speaking <coughs> of eternal life versus the kingdom did Jesus do up to this point? Um, because if he's been hearing about kingdom, all this rich rulers, if he's been hearing about kingdom all his life, and now this guy comes on the scene talking about eternal life, it might be something that he uh, is attracted to. It's definitely a shift in, this is a shift in tone in scriptures between the First Testament and Second Testament, just one second, um, where we start to see this, this blending <coughs> where the First Testament language is all about kingdom, 
And Jesus offers this kingdom, and yet he's offering, he yet knows that this offering of the kingdom is going to be rejected. And so there is this beginning sense now in the Gospels that we start talking about, and John talks about it too, this idea of there's something for people who are outside the kingdom, who are outside Israel, and it has to do with being with God forever. And so this is kind of, I would say this is kind of a transition period. It's still kind of new, this language of Jesus, because maybe that's the reason he goes to Jesus, because this isn't the language that rabbis would have used right. in that day. And that maybe answers my own question. Why go to Jesus? Well, the rabbis aren't doing this. Right. Yeah. Well, kind of along that line, so you kind of let into that. My, what stood out to me was, because he said, good teacher, and then he's asking him a question. So just prior to this, everything has been basically saying nicely that everything that they've learned up to this point is not the correct way to look at it. So to me, I see this as a shift that he's like, okay, so teacher, what do I do? So like he's actually shifted it now from the rabbi to the teacher. What is it? So he's picked up on the fact, either heard himself or heard the rumors or been following along for a while and, and discovers that, yeah, Jesus has been talking about, yeah, you've misread, you've misread, you've misread. <coughs> so correct us. Correct me. Tell me. What is it that I need to do? Because it's obviously not what the rabbis have been teaching us or else you wouldn't be constantly in fight with them, right? Is that what you're basically? Yeah, that's good. That's good. So in response to his question... Jesus asks a question. Jesus is great at this, right? Answers a question with a question followed by a statement, all right? So first, how does Jesus respond to the ruler's question? What does he ask? So he says, uh, why do you call me good? Does being, or does being good have only one meaning? I mean, how is the ruler using it morally good so you think he's he's or he's suggesting jesus you're a morally good teacher so you tell us you tell me how do i obtain eternal life no i think i may be good at uh, at giving the information so he's been going around and he's been able to to really tell about the kingdom by using the par- although the parables are confusing <laughs> But he's really good at getting the message out. So maybe he's good at being an orator and spreading information. Or maybe, or maybe he's picking up on the fact that Jesus does have a different, a different path from the other leaders, right? Because he's calling him the good teacher, and then he said, I mean, Jesus says, "Why do you call me good? That is only the that is only God." So is he actually picking up on that Jesus is is the one? So yeah, so. So what we have to ask then is, so what's the intent or the intention of Jesus' question to him? Why do you call me good? What's he trying to to ascertain? Why ask the question? In the original language, is there a differentiation on that word good? No. no same word. No. Same word. Same word. Okay. Yeah, we have our resident linguist in the yeah. house. <laughs> Confirm resident linguist yeah. and, and learning students. I mean, so people recognize there was something prophetic about Jesus. I think people at this point recognize that he was pointing towards something that seems messianic, but they weren't entirely sure. So I think when Jesus asked the question, why do you call me good? I think he's provoking the the question of, well, who do you think that I really am? So he's trying to get at 
He's asking a clarifying question yeah. then. So what do you mean you heard by you? good? Because everyone knows, this is a paraphrase, right? Everyone knows that only God is good, right? In, in, in Israel, right? There's one God and he is good, correct? So he's asking him, okay, are you then recognizing who I am? Is that what you're doing here? Do you get that as his intent? What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Kind of They're doing some behind the scenes here. I don't know. Well, maybe it's a little wink and a nod on Jesus's part. <laughs> you know, in that he's like, no one's good except the one God who you're in front of. You know. Well, I think he was. I think that's right. He's he's trying to ascertain, right? Does does this guy really believe in who I am, and that's why he's asking me, or is just this just another you know another person seeking some solace in I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Which, by the way, I think leads us, right? Go ahead. I think they're not as much as Jesus questioning why this guy's calling me good, but maybe getting that man to think about why he's calling me good. Oh, certainly. And everybody else who's listening. Because this is in a crowd of, you know, likely in a crowd of people, because we know, by the way, he then addresses after the man walks away, which we'll get to in just a couple of minutes. You know, there's other people around. So it's definitely a question. So Jesus is probing a little bit, right? To kind of find out what's the motivation behind this question, right? And then um, he points him, uh, after he says that question, after he makes that, uh, asks that question, makes that statement, Jesus points him to the commandments. He picks five of them. But the horizontal points. <laughs> Interesting. You're already ahead of me. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you listening on the podcast, that is no, that is called. We've been doing this for a while, which is great. You're picking up on these things. It's adultery, murder, sorry. stealing, fault. You don't have to be sorry. It's perfect. Uh, adultery, murder, stealing, false witness, and honoring your father and mother. That's five of the ten. Right. So five of the what do we call it? Ten best ways to live is what we teach kids. Right. Five of the ten best ways to live, and Dan identified they're all. What's the commonality? With each other, one. It's this. So half the commandments are how you. First five are how you relate to God, and these are the how do you relate to each other. So he quotes five of the ten commandments. Does that seem odd to you? Why not just say, "Have you kept the ten commandments, or have you kept the law?" Why? Maybe he's kind of calling out a little bit. Like, yeah. there's, there's these five commandments. Do you remember these? How are you doing on these? Yeah. Well, if we're supposing that he has earned his wealth on the backs of his neighbors, um, he might have followed the letter of the law on these five things, but the heart of the, the technicality. law. Oh, so yeah, so this is why we have to do that investigative work at the beginning to say, all right, so this is probably the kind of relationship this guy is in. He's going to not always be well-liked because he's going to make his profit on the backs of the people, right? And so immediately, Jesus probably, not probably, knowing that, gets right at, so how are you doing on the five big best ways to live as it relates to your brothers and sisters here? How are you doing on Along the top, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can 
skim along the top on these, but then when it's like, okay, you may not steal. With, that, that just means don't take something that's not yours. Okay, well, what if somebody is in need, in deep need of something, and you've got that, you are really, in a way, you're stealing their dignity, you are stealing their um, their ability to get up out of this pit that they are in and everything by not giving to them. And this is consistent with everything we've been seeing for the last few months together, right? This is about this focus on relationships. Focus on relationships and money. Relationships and money. Relationships and money. And this is another one of those, right? Where he's focused in on this, okay, how are you doing with these horizontal things, right? And it's pretty obvious, I think, now. When we put everything in context, that's why Jesus focuses on those five. What do you think he's trying to help the certain ruler to see and understand? That maybe he might not have been doing everything that he thought he was doing, and that could be why he's feeling the way that he's feeling. So maybe the way you're feeling and you're not, your lack of certainty and all of that has to do with the fact that you already know you're messing up in this area. Okay. I like that. What else? What's he hoping? What's Jesus trying to help this man see? That he's having the letter of the law but not the spirit of the law. And to kind of do some self-reflection on, I can do, I can checklist all these things, but that doesn't mean that I got to have the heart of what it is I'm really supposed to be doing. And you kind of get that sense, right, by how quickly he responds. Because Jesus says, you know, you know the commandments, right? And he picks those five. And how does the how does the certain ruler respond? He's like, oh yeah, yeah, I know those things. I've been doing this since I was a boy. What does that tell us? He's doing it because he was told. Okay, he learned it. He's doing it because he told. Okay, he believes for certain. That he's kept the law. He believes that at his core, right? Or does he? I think he does. Okay, why? Because he says, I've done this since I've been a boy. So he, he thinks he's justified in what he's asking as far as eternal life. Because he's followed the law. Can somebody do me? Yeah, hold that thought for a second. Somebody grab for me Leviticus 18, real quick, Leviticus 18, 4 through 5. Because I want to pick up on what you were just saying there. He, he's been doing this since he was a kid, right, Mimi? Yeah. And so he believed, he was taught that if you do these things, the result of that is you are good. You are right with God. It's your ticket. It's your ticket. Who has Leviticus 18, 4 and 5? I've got it. No, my regulations and my rules are the ones you must keep by following them. I am the Lord your God. You must keep my rules and regulations. By doing them, one will live. I am the Lord. So the promise is already there in the Torah, all right? That if you do these things and you keep them, as he said, from when I was a little boy, the result is you will live. So is he looking for confirmation? So is he looking for confirmation or... Is he doubting or is he wondering, is this really all there is? What do you think? I don't think it's a doubt. I think it's, there has to be more. 
Like they're right. It can't just be this. You have that. You get that sense that he's got that nagging feeling that there must be more than this. Well, is that and, fair? And to her point earlier too. I mean, if Jesus has been turning everything upside down with his teachings mm-hmm. so far, and he's referring to him as good teacher, he's like, all right, you've already, you know, kind of shifted the paradigm. You've flipped things upside down. Like, are we? Am I still on track? So we agree that this certain ruler senses something is missing. The question is, what is that something? Is uh, the, the commandments are also called mitzvahs. Yep. Okay. Now, except for the honoring your father and your mother, all the other ones are kind of negative mitzvahs, which oh, you know that's even because you need to obey them too. But this one is uh, selling your things and helping the helplessly poor. That would be a positive. I think that would probably you a little bit spiritually higher. So, what's the thing that Jesus is suggesting that he's missing? You've got to put everything together to get the answer to this question. What is it that he's missing? He's missing what's the most important thing in his life, which right now probably is money. And that's the very thing that Jesus is asking him to give up or to realign his whole life priority. That's great. I mean, so he's he's depending on and he's um, comforted, as we know in the story, right, by his money. But again, I want us to I want us to see that I think the focus here again is on: Do you recognize your how bad this your life is? And even though you've kept every one of the commandments since you were a boy, look at all the relationships that have been destroyed in your life by keeping the letter of the law but missing the whole spirit, which is you're supposed to be living in community with everybody else. The implication here is that you've taken advantage of that community instead of using your position and your wealth to advance the kingdom, if you want to use that language, or to do the right thing, to live in right relationship. I mean, the two prior parables were the tax collector and the Pharisee, where it's the tax collector that kind of looks like the good guy, and then there's the one with the children, where he says, you know, you have to be like a child, and I mean, in both of those situations, it's the opposite of what this ruler was probably conveyed his entire life, which is like, well, no, be like the Pharisee, check these boxes. And now Jesus is pointing out just his lack of self-reflection. I mean, I'll be honest, like when I see this certain young ruler, I I could see myself falling into this trap of where, you know, just tell me the boxes to check Okay, I'm good. 
and then being incredibly critical of everyone else, but not using the law as no, like I could I could see myself like answering, oh no, I've always been this yeah. since I was a kid. Like went to church, went to Sunday school, like never stole from anyone. I mean Phil's got all this stuff, you know, I never took anything from him, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and is it is it also is there anything to deal with the questions that that Jesus didn't ask, you know, about the vertical five commandments? You know, if the young ruler would have maybe respected those more if he might have been doing the horizontal aspect of those around him more it's an interesting observation that by by leaving it out Jesus was kind of saying yeah I'm, I, I can see that I think from my perspective this especially with the question that he or, or with the prescription that he gives him he's like okay you've done all those things and you still feel this way you're still uncertain you still don't feel like you have the life, going back to what you were saying, maybe, right? You don't have the life that was promised to you in the Torah, Torah by keeping the law. So do this. Take what you have and distribute it, in, distribute it among those who are poorest in your community. That's a challenge to what are you going, what do you value? Do you value relationships? Because you said you do. Here's how you demonstrate it. Take what you have, this extreme wealth that you've got, and use it for the poor in your community. And what was his response? He's sad. Why? Yes. I guess I can never because that's extreme. his security blanket. So that's what you're hitting on. He's sad because the thing that he's holding on to, the thing that he thought maybe was what's going to get him over the top, it wasn't, though. That's the funny part about it, right? He comes to Jesus and he's asking, like, this really isn't working for me. I'm rich beyond measure. I've kept the law, and yet I still don't have life. I'm still missing something. It's almost like Jesus is, like, really zeroing in, right? On, you know what? This is what you're trusting in. Well, How's that doing five, for you? The five commandments are not really a self-sacrifice for me to do something. These five requires really no sacrifice on my yeah, behalf. Just don't the do these five, bad things. But the other five requires that I have to have some kind of action and I have to give something of myself to do that. Ah, not just something. You have to give up everything. Give yourself out of the center. So is Jesus making a prescription for us about poverty or riches? Is it a prescription for everybody? No. no. It's just a prescription for this young man who clearly it is his his uh, weakness, his uh, crutch, or whatever. So the challenge, the problem wasn't his wealth. Might have been how he got his wealth, potentially, but certainly what he did with the blessings of the wealth, that's the challenge here, right? It's not the wealth. Obviously, you can't have everyone in poverty. I mean, that's not certainly not the prescription. It's what he's doing and how he's using it to rely upon what he's doing uh, for his, somebody said it, um, that's his identity. Yeah, I think the challenge is his value. Right. His value is the wealth. His value is not the community. And and his value is to secure and make sure that my life is secure and everything around me is secure at the risk of everybody else. It doesn't, I'm just making sure I'm okay. Whether you're okay or not, it's not a problem. Right. He didn't ask, what can we do to obtain eternal life? He just 
passing the weapon. I. I'm intrigued by the idea of the prescription. Is it, I mean, not here. Here, it's clearly a prescription to just this man. But right next, I think it is going to be a prescription for everybody. Just the dosage is going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're right. So here's what I want to do. So in your group, in your tables, and you kind of spread out a little bit, but that's okay. Um, in your tables, here's what I want you to do. So it, let's uh, somebody read 24 and 25 for you because. After this rich man, this rich certain ruler, goes away sad because he has lots of money, Jesus makes like this closing statement, if you will, about this little piece. Somebody read 24 and 25. When Jesus saw this, he said, It's very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. So here's what I want us to do in your groups, okay? I want you to just take a couple of minutes. I'm going to give you two or three questions here to, to kind of work through in your tables, all right? About um, when Jesus says, it's hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. Let's start out with, what do you think he means by that? In other words, why is that the case? Because if it's not just this man, if it's all of us who have that, what is the challenge? So start there, all right? Start there in your groups. It's very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. What do you think he means, and why is that hard? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Ouch! Exactly. Yeah. 
Jesus is making. What's the point he's making? Go.
it, we may rely on our own, our own brain, our own resources to to meet all of our needs. And when we do that, we're lessening our reliance on God and our, we're lessening our relationship with God. Okay. Good. What about you guys? Along that same lines, it's uh, you're able to you, you not only are you able to, but you begin actually edging yourself toward the rest of society and, and God. And you start putting yourself in that kingdom place. Gotcha. All right. What about you guys? Anything different? Similar? Different? I, I mean, I feel like our response is very similar. To so then, why don't you answer the question then? Um, when when does one have enough well enough wealth to be called wealthy, or as we say in Uganda, when do you become Mugaga? Mugaga is the word there in Uganda. Everybody who is white by definition is Mugaga in in Uganda. Um, so what's enough wealth? He says it's difficult for the wealthy. What, what point is that? Any ideas? It's relative. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I feel like it's at the point that you decide that your resources don't belong to God, but they belong to you. Mm -hmm. Isn't that an interesting observation that part of the challenge is, is that this rich, certain ruler, totally misunderstood and mis... Uh, not misunderstood. He, uh, he viewed money in the improper way. Rather than being as something that you are a steward of, he thought of it as something that he owned and earned, and therefore, yeah, who wants to give away something? If it's yours, you don't want to give it away. But if it's just been loaned to you, if you will, from God, given to you, then your responsibility then is to, you're not giving, you're bringing, right? You're, you're bringing back, right? So really that's, it is, I like what you said, it is, depends on the person, because, you know, what we define as wealthy, but it's the idea of what's your attitude toward what it is that you have. Because you can be wealthy with not a lot, right? If you're thinking about wealth in the terms of this is mine, right? So then what is the point that Jesus is making? Because the illustration, by the way, is he says it's difficult for a wealthy person, and then he gives an illustration that sounds impossible, which it, it is, right? So that's his idea, right? It's impossible for a camel to go through a needles, and there's no needle gate that's... <laughs> it's not a needle game. It's literally a needle because the illustration is it's impossible, right? Which follows up, which we don't, we're not getting to, but the next verse is saying what's impossible with man is possible with God, right? So the illustration is there. So what's his point? I mean, I, like one thing that our table included was that everyone's got that thing. I mean, if it's not wealth, it's something else that fills that blank. Time is another one. Yeah. yeah, so it's part of the spiritual walk is acknowledging or getting to the point where you're acknowledging what your thing is, and that helps us see, oh my gosh, this is how much grace I need. Like, I I can't give this up, no matter how much I think I'm following all the rules. So Jesus' answer to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is... Give up what matters most. <laughs> you think? Is that consistent with the scripture's idea? The answer to the question is nothing. Well, this there was prescription for that one guy. That, that was the prescription for that one guy. 
but he, he gave the prescription take knowing resources he couldn't do it. and share with the <coughs> share with the poor, the people that don't have resources. Because he knew the guy wouldn't do it. Oh, I see. But it's but it's less about it's it's to not do. Yeah. Is it is it no. because yeah. is there's it because there's nothing to do. There's, there's nothing, nothing you can do. It, what's impossible for man yes. is possible for God. Yeah. The answer is nothing. It's a gift. So it's not, this is, it's, you can keep the commandments from when you're a kid. Still. You're trying, what do I do to obtain? What do I do, 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 do? And the answer to that question is nothing. You just receive. Because he's the one who actually did this. He's the one who did that. So this it's is not a trick question. So basically it's saved by faith, not by yes, there's nothing you receive. And another connotation of that word that's obtained is inherit. Yep. What do you do to, to get an inheritance? You stand there. You just and receive it. Right. You just take it when it's handed to you. That's exactly what it is. Well done. All right. We close each one. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Table Dallas podcast. We invite you to join the conversation at one of our upcoming tables. To learn more about us, please check out our website at thetabledallas.com. And remember, we're saving a seat for you at the table.